It's just one natural disaster after another, playing havoc with supply chains. Can blockchain help? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Blockchain is a relatively new concept to most people, and what exposure it has had to the public to date hasn't been entirely legitimate in nature. It was born as a means of supporting the trading of cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin, and its image was tarnished when it was linked with various illegal activities funded by those coins. But blockchain isn't tied to any cryptocurrency. It's an independent concept that creates a secure, accurate, and easily confirmed ledger of any number of business transactions, with a particular application to supply chains. Now we're hearing that blockchain can play a vital role in helping to respond to natural disasters, such as the hurricanes and wildfires that have plagued sections of the country in recent weeks. On today's show, I speak with Scott Nelson, CEO of Sweetbridge, a global alliance dedicated to using blockchain to create what it calls a liquid supply chain. The implications for disaster relief are extremely promising, so let's find out the connection. Here is my conversation with Scott Nelson. Scott Nelson, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bob. Scott, because it is still a relatively new concept, could we start by you defining for me just what is blockchain? Yeah, well, there's lots of ways to think about that, Bob. I think one of the most useful for your audience is to think of it as a database that is global in nature. It is on many, many computers all over the world, and as such, it never goes down. It runs all the time. And the data put in that database is secure in that nobody can edit or change it without having proper keys. And these keys are cryptographic keys that ensure that the party making the change is the party that should be making the change. And you don't really make a change so much as you just add new information that supersedes old information. All the old information is still there. So you get this indelible record of the state of information over time. Where was this data residing before, within individual ERP systems or or what? Yeah, so it would be inside of siloed information systems, inside of ERP systems, or inside of SaaS databases behind firewalls that may or may not be available and that could go down or be destroyed or disrupted in some environments, particularly in areas of disaster. And now it's spread all over the place. So even if there's some really significant uh, localized disaster, the information is still available and accessible. And how does any individual participant in the blockchain access the data within the blockchain? Is it an app? Is it a folder on your computer? Is it just simply, I mean, how do you get access to that information? Well, there's several ways you can get access to the information. One would be through something known as a DApp, which is a distributed application. 
This is just an app like an app that would run on a phone or a computer. And the other would be through a web browser and an app that's designed to be run from inside of a web browser. Sounds simple enough. It did have its origins in the creation of Bitcoin and subsequent cryptocurrencies. And yet blockchain itself is in no way tied necessarily to cryptocurrencies. I take it it can be used for any number of transactions that require a system of record, correct? That's correct. In fact, it's commonly referred to as a distributed ledger. And of course, one of the things that you can use a ledger for is storing accounting information, which is what it's used for with Bitcoin. But you can use it for storing all sorts of other kinds of information. And there are many different kinds of blockchains. There's not just one. A lot of times people don't recognize that. All right. So let's talk specifically about how blockchain can be used in natural disasters. Where does it come in handy and how could it be employed in the can certainly this these last few weeks with a string of hurricanes and, and fires and the like, this becomes highly relevant. So where does that come into the natural disaster picture? Well it comes in in a variety of ways. First, it is this distributed environment that is not easily disrupted. So in a natural disaster, data centers, information can be disrupted and become very difficult to get access to systems. The blockchain enables computer systems that literally never go down. They cannot go down. And that's really important during any kind of major disruption in people's lives or in a disaster situation. Second thing is that blockchains enable information to be stored in a public way so that you can actually see what's going on transparently. And this can be very important when trying to find inventory or the status of where shipments are or information that might be in a supply chain that you need to redirect for the benefit of those who are experiencing the disaster. And this allows it to be done in a way where organizations can coordinate their activity together that would not be possible in any kind of easily accessible way just on a telephone or using existing technologies because the information siloed inside of different companies. By the way, you use the words transparent and public, which is fine, except it also raises questions about security and, and protection of proprietary information. So how is this information at once public and transparent on one hand and yet reserved and private for the users on the other? The techniques that are used to preserve privacy or to allow for information to be public vary depending upon the blockchain technology. As I mentioned before, there are many different types of blockchains. And frequently what is used, particularly in the supply chain, are blockchains which use a channel through a, a set of tightly related entities that choose to share information on a common blockchain between themselves. Some of that information then can get replicated to what are known as public blockchains, which is available information for everyone. And this is important when dealing with things like authenticity, understanding where things came from, or understanding whether or not something is still good, like a produce that might have spoiled or that has been aged longer than it should. Public blockchains allow for external parties and even customers of retailers to validate that the materials that they're getting are truly what they represent themselves to be. You talk about the advantage of blockchain data being distributed among all of the different parties in the transaction, which sounds fine, except it also 
I would think, create a number of multiple entry points for potential hackers. Can the blockchain be hacked? So this is a really important thing to understand about the blockchain. The blockchain can't easily be hacked. Blockchains are attackable like any technology, but the expense of attacking them is so great that it would typically not be worth it economically. And the reason is that blockchains use cryptographic techniques that encrypt the information using something called a hash. And this is just a way of taking a random set of data that could be anything and determining a code from it that is always going to be the exact same code as long as the data hasn't changed. But even minor changes in that data cause the code to dramatically change. What this does is it means that it's very easy to detect any tampering with the information. And it takes massive, massive computing power to try to re-engineer these hashes and change data in such a way that the hash code itself wouldn't change. It takes so much computing power that until recently, the computing power to do this didn't exist if we used all of the computers on the planet. How old is blockchain? I mean, Bitcoin itself has been around for... I don't know, a few years, almost, a, is it a decade? Is it that old? And, and is blockchain as old as Bitcoin? So blockchain is as old as Bitcoin. Bitcoin was the kind of original blockchain. And it really didn't get implemented until about eight years ago. It was proposed prior to that, about nine years ago. So it's a relatively new technology, but it has the ability to change our lives in ways that most people won't, at this point, really appreciate. But in the next four or five years, there's probably very few people on the planet that will not be affected or have their lives touched by some of the changes the blockchain enables. Well, just to get back for a moment to the security issue, as you said, it'd be very difficult given the, the computer power needed, and certainly it wasn't there in, in past years. In those eight or so years that blockchain has been in existence, have there been incidences of attempted hacks or attempted security breaches or even successful security breaches at any level within any blockchains that you know of? Uh, there have. There have been attempts by parties to try to find ways to attack blockchains. And it depends on, the again, the particular blockchain that you are referring to. So, for example, the Bitcoin blockchain, there really isn't any successful attacks that we know of that have ever occurred where the data is considered secure. And what I mean by that is that the way the blockchain works is when data is originally written to it, it isn't necessarily secure at that point in time. It gets secured as blocks are added, and you might need to have as many as three or five more blocks added to your block, hence the name blockchain, before it becomes impossible literally for people to change it. With the technology and the money that we understand, even the power requirements are just like small nations, power budgets for a year would be required, things like that. So there's a very small time frame where people have demonstrated an ability to kind of manipulate it, but it automatically detects it and it automatically corrects, which is one of the great things about it. You can kind of just wait a few minutes and if you let it age, you know that if the data is still the same, then it's basically secure.
Let's get back to the discussion of blockchain in times of disaster. Could you paint for me a scenario, an example of, let's say, a massive hurricane hits? Who would be using it and for what purposes? Uh, how would blockchain come to the aid of, of companies in the, in the course of that disaster and afterwards? Well, there'd be a lot of ways in which it could get used. So let me just try to envision a few. The first is that it could provide resilience for all of the local city and state infrastructure, federal infrastructure that's necessary to provide disaster relief, like the police departments, the fire departments, the water uh, municipalities, others. They typically have localized computer systems, and in a disaster, these computer systems could become flooded or go offline. The blockchain can enable us to have environments where those systems wouldn't go down. Specific to the supply chain, the supply chain information maintained about what is available where, like what's in what warehouse, where is it, what's in what truck, where is it, how could we redirect it, and use it or access it to help people in the situation. In the very first few hours after a disaster, if information was stored in blockchains, it would be able to be shared across multiple parties who could quickly respond to retarget goods, services, material that are needed by people in, in an immediate disaster situation. And then following the disaster, many disasters affect people even more in the weeks afterwards than they do before. And one of the biggest problems is having accurate understanding of inventory. What is actually still available? Odd commodities can become very important. Something like uh, milk might become something which is very scarce and yet quite needed. Something like water frequently is a problem. And so just knowing that there's flats of water in this particular warehouse that's only 70 miles away from the disaster and can easily be rerouted is very important. And then knowledge about what's actually happening in the supply chain from the status inside of vehicles and where they are can also help. Many companies can't afford to have a lot of sophisticated, redundant structures that can weather a disaster. So the logistics firms and people that actually move goods in a disaster frequently become extremely disrupted. These organizations, if their systems are running on blockchains, would be resilient and their systems wouldn't be adversely affected and they'd be able to continue to function from cell phones or mobile computers irregardless of where they worked or irregardless of what happened to their office or facilities. Of course, in the case of data availability, it's always a case of garbage in, garbage out, is it not? I mean, the participants in the blockchain or the participants in a particular transaction or network, supply network, have to themselves have access to their own information about their own inventory and the like and be able to feed that into the system. And then not all companies are able to do that at this point. So that I would imagine that's not blockchain's fault, but it certainly is a drawback in, in the attempt to do what you've described here. It is in the in the sense that if you waited to do this until the disaster occurred, it wouldn't really help you. But the blockchain offers so many economical benefits and some really interesting other kinds of benefits that we haven't discussed that provide a lot of incentives for frictionless transactions and trade. 
This provides a lot of incentive economically for people to adopt it as a technology. And that incentive can make a big difference in basically helping to subsidize the conversion costs from moving from existing legacy systems to it. But it, you're right, until the blockchain starts to be used more in these areas, it's not going to help us in some of those ways that we've discussed. So it's going to help us more in the future as people start adopting it. Has it been used up to this point in the context of a natural disaster, or are we just talking about a prospective use that, that uh, we could see in the future? Well, it's being used in places around the world that have had disasters and displacement of people, such as the country of Jordan and other places that have been war-torn as part of projects from the UN. One of the most interesting is one for food distribution in a environment where you want to make sure that the food is actually getting to the people that need it the most, where they use a blockchain-based identity that runs off of a smartphone and uses a retina scan based on the eyeballs of a person using just a standard smartphone camera. And this mechanism allows for the identification of the party who's actually getting aid. One of the problems in distributing aid in disasters is making sure that there aren't bad actors using the chaos of the disaster to try to take more than their fair share or hoard things. And this is an excellent way of actually preventing this. And there are several projects that have been like this that have been blockchain-based and have been considered very successful. Gone beyond beta, actually in use today. It sounds very sophisticated, but it's actually happening? It's actually happening. And it's a wonderful project. It is a bellwether of a lot of things that we're going to see. And it's being implemented by multiple refugee organizations around the world where there tends to be crime or parties, again, bad actors, that take advantage of attempts to help people to find ways of gaining access to commodities that they can sell in these disaster situations and profit from it. What are the potential hurdles to adoption of blockchain on a widespread basis? There are multiple, but probably the most significant in my mind is just ignorance. And there's a lot of hype and bad information about it. Unfortunately, blockchain kind of got tarnished early on with the idea that it was a technology for use by criminals and things because of some highly publicized press articles about how Bitcoin was used. And then, unfortunately, as frequently happens in new technology, people tried to correct that in the industry, but overhyped what it could do and, and made promises about what it would be able to do too early. And the technology hadn't been fully developed. But this period of time we're in right now is very different. And this is a period of time where those of us who are in the blockchain cannot believe the speed with which things are happening. They're happening at a rate that is very hard for anyone to imagine. And so that hype that was purely hype a couple of years ago is going to start to become reality here very, very quickly. And there are going to be many projects that are going to start to affect our lives. Unlike the Internet, though, I, I don't think the blockchain will be as visible to people. It's going to work behind the scenes, inside of the businesses, inside of the infrastructure that we have. And it's just that certain things we do will get better, cheaper, faster. There'll be new abilities. 
And it's not that we won't use the blockchain directly. That will happen a lot in fintech applications. But in the supply chain, most of it will be used in business-to-business -business transactions that empower commerce. And what the result of that will be is things are going to become cheaper. They're going to become easier to access. We're going to have a higher degree of confidence that goods are what they say they are when they say they're organic or when they say that they come from conflict-free regions or they come from a specific location or town or farm. And it'll become commonplace for us to use our phones in marketplaces and whatnot to actually scan a product and look up the entire history of the product that we're actually looking at on a shelf. Everything from the pictures of the people that actually touched it and moved it along to stories about the farmers that raised it or the manufacturer that produced it. And that's going to be all enabled by the blockchain. And you think maybe, what, four to five years before blockchain becomes so prevalent that it actually begins to achieve this the long-held dream of supply chains for total visibility control? I think it will happen faster in some areas and slower in others. So like all changes, there are always kind of momentum issues. And so there's some things that are likely to take more like 10 years in certain areas where the benefits may not be as great. But there are other things that I think are going to we're going to see stuff in the next 18 months, two years being widespread adopted. So if you look at things like pharma and some of the concerns there about being able to validate the custody of goods, this is such a big problem that I think we're going to see a lot of adoption very, very quickly. Other places where you're dealing with the high cost of financing in the supply chain. I think this is going to be an area that's going to get a lot of adoption very quick as well. And then there'll be certain organizations that are going to distinguish themselves by integrating it heavily in their operational environment. I know of dozens of organizations that are currently moving beyond POCs to actual operational systems that roll out. And as that starts happening, the ones out there today that are a few early adopters will start to have capacities and abilities their competitors lack. Once that happens, I think there's going to be a lot of rush to move more and more and more to the blockchain. Well, it sounds like we're already past the peak of the hype cycle and people are starting to realize just what blockchain is. So it looks like a promising future for this technology. But Scott Nelson of Sweetbridge, I want to thank you so much for helping us to understand and giving us a very lucid explanation of what blockchain is and how it might help, especially and specifically in disaster relief. Thanks very much for being with us. Bob, thanks a whole bunch. That was my conversation with Scott Nelson of Sweetbridge, talking about how the blockchain can aid in disaster relief. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.